The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's ooky spooky pre-Halloween episode of Eye on the Triangle. It is October 26th, and the time is 4.03, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Weaver. And I'm Marissa Jordan. We've got an intriguing episode for y'all today. Coming up later on, Jake Winters reviews The Past, followed by a review of Weezer's White Album from Nick. Then, Colleen Kennan Ferguson brings you Gen Ed uh, in a special post-Diversity Week episode. It was supposed to air last week, but we didn't have time for it in our usual lineup. So it's coming out this week. Uh, it's about Black Lives Matter. Uh, and then after that, Brooke Gagnon interviews members of the Cypher Club, a spoken word and rap club. So stay tuned for that. Hello, you're listening to a special Diversity Education Week version of Gen Ed an NC State-specific podcast that focuses on issues commonly faced by students attending North Carolina State University. For this special episode, I got to talk to Stephanie Tate, Editor-in-Chief of the Nubian Message here on NC State's campus, and Charles Morse, the Underground Hip-Hop Music Director at WKNC. We talked about microaggressions and the realities many students of color and other minorities face every day on North Carolina State University campus. If you have a specific topic you'd like us to address on Gen Ed, please Please email your suggestions to podcast at wknc.org. Enjoy listening. I am Stephanie Tate. I'm a junior majoring in political science, and I am the editor-in-chief of the Nubia Message. I'm Charles Morse. I'm a senior studying public relations, and I'm the hip-hop music director at WKNC. So, y'all both attended the town hall meeting at NC State a couple weeks ago. What did y'all think about that? You want me to go first? Man, I, I felt like like it was just typical bureaucratic nonsense, just kind of sweeping the issue under the rug. Chancellor Woodson just kind of tried to, he, he attempted to put the legal side out there, which is a really weak argument yeah, because you've seen yeah. students getting expelled <laughs> yeah. from universities across the country for similar infractions. So it was really just kind of disappointing because we we all were there because we were disappointed in the fact that those kids got away with just having to write like a two paragraph nonsense. Bull- but either way, we were there to we were there to voice that we were upset about that, and like nothing was done. Like they just totally said, okay, we know you're upset about it. Now on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree. I definitely think that um, there was a lot of legal jargon used and not enough acknowledging the hurt of students of color. And at one point, a student actually called Chancellor Woodson out for not looking at students of color when they're talking about their experiences at NC State. And um, I would just have to say, I completely agree with a lot of the students that were saying, don't call yourself an inclusive campus when you have students of color that are telling you, we don't feel included on this campus, we don't feel safe on this campus, and then be like, well, we're really diverse and we're great. 
<laughs> and NC State is wonderful because to love NC State requires that you want NC State to be better. So that's not to say that students of color don't love NC State, but that we deserve and we expect better from the university. You know, like um, one of the things that bothered me was where were all the other fraternities and sororities, the predominantly white fraternities and sororities that participate in Diversity Week. They were nowhere to be found at that town hall. It was just mostly, you know, students of color and a few white white students peppered in. But those white students were people that are already allies in the first place. So it's really just kind of like an echo chamber. What are your opinions on the group me messages that surfaced on Facebook on Wolfpack students a couple weeks ago? And did you see any anger within... For instance, the staff of Nubian Message or anyone you knew on campus? Yeah, so the Nubian Message staff consists mostly of Black students. Um, We have a couple of Latino and Hispanic students, and then um, we have two white students, but it's mostly Black students. And I think what I really heard from my staff is we're upset, but we're also a news organization. So we have to report on what's going on. But then also, this is a major priority for us because it affects us in our daily lives. When we walk out of the Nubian Message office, we're still students of color on NC State's campus. And from what I saw from a lot of students of color is, regardless of whether or not this was in a private group chat message, these thoughts, these ideas, they manifest themselves in microaggressions across campus. They manifest themselves in saying, well, you're really pretty for a black girl. Or, um, you know, I didn't know that black dudes were really smarter. Are you on the football team when someone is literally probably like five foot two and 100 pounds. So um, those microaggressions, those are the things that um, come out of that type of language, that type of rhetoric. And I think that's one of the issues is it's not just about the fact that it was in the group me um, or that it was in a private messaging um, app, but that those those behaviors manifest themselves eventually. Absolutely. You know, like um, I was the first person to speak at the town hall. One of the things that I brought up, I'm older. I went to the army before I went to college. So I'm older than most students that I that I that I hang with out here at, at state but like seeing it from and plus I came from the north I came from the Bronx down here and it was it was so different when it came to that kind of stuff like we all kind of in the Bronx we like we we're just so diverse we would all kind of like mess around with each other about race it was you know it was kind of like lighthearted and more just like you know Latino versus black and all that but um but you know coming down here just like you can see the hate in the speech you know what I mean like I can take I can take someone having making some jokes that are racially charged and actually having them maybe be kind of funny. But when you can feel the hate in the words, like talking about bringing guns to a peaceful to, to a peaceful demonstration and them talking about them being afraid for their lives, meanwhile, threatening our lives like that's just it's insane. And how the school can just 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 sweep it under. As I said, I feel like I'm like a broken record, but just the way they just swept that under the rug is just insane because we've gone from. When I was a kid, especially in the inner city, you you know just make fun of gay people. It was just a part of, it was just something you did. And growing up, that was something I've had to change about myself. And I have gay friends and, you know, I'd say like, oh, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not homophobic or whatever. And they say, yeah, but it still hurts. So I had to change that. A lot of my other friends that are straight had to change that. So why can't we in that 10 year period do the same for, for black people? You know, like, why is it, why is it now so unacceptable to call someone the F word? But to say the N-word, it can still be written off as like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I have to say I agree with that. I grew up in a really diverse community. I grew up in Brooklyn, actually. And so um, seeing students 
from everywhere, essentially, all over the world in the city all the time. And then coming here and seeing blatant racism. I feel like when I was growing up, if there was racism, it was um, kind of underlying, like little things like gentrification and stuff like that. But white people didn't just walk around saying the (laughs) N-word. That was not a thing. And I just find the word extremely inappropriate to be used by white people. And so I was just really frustrated to see that this was so blatant. And then on top of that, that they invited a black student into the group me. And then instead of just saying, hey, I'm sorry, it was like, well, that's not really what we meant. But you said it and it's there. And we right. have proof of it. And, and that doesn't change. That, and that's just an, that's just an illustration of white arrogance to begin with. You know, like, and it's so prevalent down here in the South. You know, being in the Army, I was around people that, and it was a ju- an adjustment period for all of us. Because, you know, coming from the Bronx, like, most of my friends were Black, Hispanic, or whatever. And the guys from the South, most of their friends were white. They didn't have to really hang out with Black folks. So, like, just that, like, the I noticed with the white guys from the country, there was just, like, this attitude of, well, you know, that's just how we joke around where I'm from. So, of course, you've got to be okay with it because where I'm from, there's not many of you here. <laughs> so, like, I think at a, at a university, the point is to educate us and to elevate us from that. You know, it's not the Army. You know, you shouldn't be just, like, letting it go like that. So Yeah, I grew up on a small, in a small southern town, and... Most of the people I grew up with were really racist. And so coming to state, it was amazing to see that these these people had somehow made it out of our hometown, but were still so ignorant, even though they were at college. It was just incredible. That's the biggest shame. You know, you have the opportunity to educate yourself and you choose to be an idiot. So going back to the group me incident, do you think their apology was sincere? Absolutely not. Um, Because if the apology was sincere and if you were sorry for the people that you hurt, then um, you would have addressed it to the black students, number one, because at the end of the day, the racial slurs that you were using were derogatory to black students. Do they reflect badly on the entire university? Yes. But did they cause the same amount of pain to other students? No. So I feel like the fact that they addressed it to the entire university or all all of the students at the university, the fact that it was barely two paragraphs, very, very um, brief apology, and then the fact that they both signed it together instead of writing their own separate apologies, to me, just did not give off an aura of sincerity whatsoever. Going off of that, like this school, I'm a communications major. And if you're taking Com 316, public relations writing, like, yeah, like it's such a strict class. And no, no exactly. it wouldn't have flown in any other cl- It wouldn't have flown in any class whatsoever. No, no. or even to get into mm-hmm. the school. You know, the, the standards to get into the school are so high. And it's gotten even higher since like I first came here. So the fact that they let something like that, like they didn't even make them put their best foot forward, show how much they actually do know. Yeah. So, in your own words and experiences, what would you say the racial climate of NC State currently is? I think that racial climate refers to um, not just diversity quotas and not just we're letting in students of color, we're letting in students with different sexual orientations, or we're letting letting in non-traditional students, um, we're letting in veterans. It's how do those students feel on campus? Um, so, I think that racial climate... Ha- um, 
has something bigger to do with just the whole concept of diversity in general. And how do those students feel? Are they comfortable on campus? Do they feel like they have resources available to them? Do they feel like the university is doing its job and ed- educating them and making sure that they feel safe on campus? There's a difference between being comfortable and being safe. I'm not one to say that college should be the biggest comfort zone. You should expect some growth in a university setting, but you should also expect to be to have your ideas challenged. But you should also expect to feel safe and have your ideas challenged in a respectful manner. And to me, there's just a certain amount of dignity, a certain amount of integrity that students should possess when they come to a university setting. And I feel like the racial climate on campus is indicative of the of the fact that students are not necessarily as diverse or um, as inclusive as NC State likes to tell people. I definitely agree with that. I feel like diversity at NC State is just like a thin layer of paint on the expression tunnel, you know, like when they try to refab the, uh, the the expression tunnel every year, you still see all the stuff that was behind the layer that they put on top of it. And that's exactly what the racial climate is. You know, the, the, the administration does a lot. They try, but it's just not genuine. You know, we still have, I hate to be the one to just always attack fraternities and sororities, but we still have fraternities and sororities on campus that are historically racist. As a student of color, like you're just always going to have that lingering feeling of just not being that comfortable you know you can go to an event i dj i dj around the city i do clubs i do everything and like as a man in his late 20s i've never thought i'd do a dj a frat party but they paid me really well to do it so i was like all right forget it i'll do it and um you know as a dj from the bronx like i have a very new york kind of way of djing like i like to put my my dance hall and my reggaeton in there and yeah see you know what i'm talking about but like you know most of my audiences have been black or hispanic or whatever so that like that you know gets the party going crazy when you put that stuff on and i literally had some drunk white girl come up to me and say you need to turn this jungle music off you know like if i wasn't getting paid i just i I just would have unplugged everything and just walked off but i just knowing that you have to brush something like that off it's just it sucks man like djing up in new york as an artist i would have the dignity to be able to go to a bouncer and say like yo can you believe what this girl just said to me and they'd kick her out you know but in the south and here on nc state's campus like it's like you gotta look at where you are and you gotta say okay well damn i gotta I guess I got to just shake it off. And that sucks, man. Like, especially as a grown man, like I, who's been to war, I've been, you know, in the military. I was a special forces operator. I don't like to brush anything off, but to have to brush off some little 18 year old white kid talking about jungle music, it, it hurts, man. And you got to see that person again on campus. You know, NC State's a big campus, but we still bump into everybody. You know, I bump into people that you may be like a couple years later, but you still bump into people. You know, when there's that underlying racial hatred, it's just bubbling on the bottom. It always comes up to the top and it's never going to make our campus, our racial climate that good until something is really actually done about it. So would you say y'all experience microaggressions regularly? Most of the time, multiple times a week, um, whether they come from students, whether they come from faculty and staff. um, But I definitely would like to say yes, most definitely. Um, I've had a couple students say, oh, well, you're really smart for a black girl. Or um, my favorite is, well, you'll get a job because you're black and you're a woman and people need diversity. Um, Not because I'm qualified, not because I'm an honor student, not because I work hard, um, but because I'm black and I'm a woman. Um, So I find that very disheartening. Um, I've heard professors say certain things. Um, Professors not expect me to know certain things or be um, knowledgeable about certain subjects because I am black. I guess this isn't really a microaggression. I got called a monkey last year on campus by a white student. Um, Yeah, so I have an issue um, with the group me incident 
because like I said previously, these are the behaviors that manifest themselves in everyday conversations, um, in everyday interactions with students of color and faculty of color as well. So um, I'm interested to see what other microaggressions other people have um, experienced on NC State's campus. Well, I mean, actually, I had one a couple of weeks ago. I also, on top of working here at KNC, I founded Wolf Tracks Music Group. And um, I started off as the operations director there. And most of the other guys were the founding members and executives last year. But, you know, we all, I don't know, we all kind of had like that that um, mutual respect where we all kind of took each other seriously. And when we said something that was part of our subject matter expertise, it was, that was it. This year, we have younger executives, you know, they're like 19 up to 21. And they're, but they're white. We have one girl who's Arab who's Egyptian we were doing auditions and we had a white rapper come in and he was really kind of overselling the hood accent my if, if I don't have as hood of an accent as I used to have <laughs> there's no reason why a white rapper from the suburbs should be using a hood accent and I just kind of said that I was like hey man like you're good at what you do but just ch- drop the accent just be yourself and every white kid every white person on the panel of executives of the organization that I founded jumped on me and t- literally told me like oh my god don't be an asshole like in front of the kid who's auditioning and like Yo, like, I can say that. <laughs> forget being black. Forget being, like, a biracial man. Like, you know, I'm from the Bronx. Like, <laughs> like you know, I grew up there. Like, you know, like, if I if I don't like that you're using that accent, I can tell you that. And it doesn't mean that I'm attacking. That just, that, that just kind of, like, took me back, you know. And it actually kind of just. And it was almost like once they saw that I was annoyed by it. On top of that, there was, like, this assumption that I was going to go through, you know, minority hood dude rage. That never happened. You know, it's like they were all, like, trying to soothe me. Like, oh, we're sorry. We didn't really mean it like that. Like, listen, I'm good. I'm a grown up. You know, I'm going to get arrested if I've you know, put hands on somebody right. like microaggressions like that, like especially as a man, it's different, too, because you're always it's always assumed that as any kind of minority man, if anything pisses you off. Meanwhile, they're the ones talking about bringing guns to peaceful demonstrations. So have you had any other experiences with that kind of very overt racist action like you mentioned earlier? Um, the racial climate town hall last year had a number of students who expressed um, some very overt racist remarks that they had heard or had been a part of the conversation with. Um, I don't really want to air out their business um, because that's their story to tell and not mine. But I know that it I know that it has occurred on campus. I will say that. No, no, mine was not an isolated incident at all. One of the things that kind of like seeped into my head, like it just kind of like dawned on me a couple of weeks ago after the town hall is that I've actually never had a black teacher, a black professor at this school. And I'm taking African history of African-American music this semester and I still don't have a black professor. And my professor, Dr. Turner, she's great. Like she's a really nice woman and she knows her her stuff but I mean it's just to not have ever had a black professor and then to go to that class where I kind of was hoping I'd have a black professor. <laughs> it just wasn't. It wasn't there. And also being where I've kind of seen it, too, was um professor made a comment to me once. I have a child and I'm not married. And that's not it's not a black thing. I know plenty of white people that have kids that aren't married. But it was kind of like insinuated, like, oh, given your background being from the Bronx. And like, like you know, she assumed that my kid was older because I'm older. She assumed that my kid was like maybe 10. My kid's two years old. And she assumed that I was like this kid who, you know, got someone knocked up in the hood and then went to the army to to get money and then came to college and would she have had that assumption if I was a white guy if I was you know a white guy close to 30 years old she'd probably assume that I'm married and have a 401k and all that is there anything else you wanted to talk about in regards to how administration handled the group me incident from a couple weeks ago in terms of administration I think my biggest thing is 
as someone who is in journalism, someone who is very interested in media and has a special passion for that. I was very disappointed to see Chancellor Woodson reading from the teleprompter when he discussed in his video about how there were those words and the racial slurs and things that were used were protected by the First Amendment and how NC State does not, that is not an NC State value. Racism is not an NC State value. And to me, he just he needs a better PR team because it was blatantly obvious that he was reading from a teleprompter and that was the most insincere thing that probably occurred from him besides not looking at the black students at the town hall that occurred from him after that group me incident is I was watching you read the comments um, and instead of saying black students and that was another thing that I had an issue with or students of color because that is the community that it affected. So obviously this affects the wider NC State community, but call it for what it is and call it racism and say, this affects a certain population within our community, and I am sorry about that. So I was just not very pleased with the video. I don't think he did an awful job, but it just seemed very insincere. I mean, Chancellor Woodson, whether he likes it or not, he has some underlying racist tendencies. And the fact that he couldn't just get comfortable with his students who helped him keep his six-figure-plus salary, <laughs> it just says a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that frustrated me the most um, about the town hall as well is the students that were speaking, the students of color that were speaking, I know most of those students. Mm -hmm. And I know that they contribute more to the university than just paying their tuition and fees and then showing up for class. These are the students that are putting initiatives in place that allow you to put on your brochures that NC State is a, is a diverse place. Okay, these are the students of color that are contributing much more than just good grades and tuition and fees money. And that's what's so frustrated to, frustrating to me was that these are students of color who were making it an effort to make NC State a better place consistently, um, whether that's through their student organizations or working or something of that nature. And um, to see that effort disregarded and to see um, Chancellor Woodson essentially not call the racism out for what it is and say, I'm sorry that these students of color was hurting. To me, that was that disregarded all the co contributions that these students of color make because we do make a unique contribution to the university. Yeah. yeah, I mean, anywhere you look in any department, you know, you see students of color just making things happen, you know, whether they're Hispanic or black or Indian yep. or Asian, you know, like we're, we're the ones out there doing stuff because we need to. You know, we need to we be, have no other option. We need to have expansive resumes when we graduate college. We, we can't just go through the motions. We can't just do a little internship somewhere. Like we have to have a solid resume because we have to impress. Okay. Um, so for all the students who do have questions about um what the student of color experience is like or um just in general, how you can make yourself more of an inclusive person and really recognize your implicit biases. Um, this is Diversity Education Week. There's over 50 events planned. There's an opportunity for you to learn about different cultures, um, different aspects of people's identities. Um, and that is not just something that is for white students. That's not something just for cisgendered students or heterosexual students um, or traditional students. This is something that is, and when I say traditional, I mean students that come right out of high school into college, um, not anything else. Um, and so for me, I think it's really, really important that also students of color are consistently doing the work to make sure that we're recognizing our implicit bias. Um, and then uh, able-bodied students, uh, cisgendered students, um, etc. All marginalized groups have some type of implicit bias. That's just human nature. And so I think this is a time that we can all start to recognize that. Um, and not just, we need to make sure we're not just calling out uh, one side of oppression and make sure that we're 
doing our best to dismantle all systems of oppression. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Because that's that's as someone who's who's mixed, I've seen it from both sides, you know. But and it hurts. It hurts more when I see it from the black side. In all honesty, because mm-hmm. I expect it from expect the white people, people. Mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but on that same note, as Stephanie was saying, like, um, also we have a great hip hop community out here in Raleigh. You know, you might have to go off campus a little bit, but you might have to Uber for five dollars. But what is that? You know, go downtown, go to an event, go to a hip hop event. Our hip hop community is really good, like in the, in the sense that it's safe. You know, we're not like New York where you can go to a club. <laughs> like, and while like you're like I love I love our hip hop community here and I would stay here in Raleigh because of it because being in New York having DJed up there like it can be dangerous out there but here like everybody is so cool and it's so safe and you get to learn meet new people and if you're a white student and you call it what it is most white kids love hip hop you know <laughs> Get to know the local scene. We got a really dope local scene. We got artists that are like on the verge of blowing up. So get to know those people. Get out of your comfort zone. Get Come down to the deep south. Come down to Kings one night and just see what we're about. See what the black community is about here in Raleigh. You know, make yourself a member of the community. There are plenty of white. Anderson Burris, whitest guy I know, but loved by, <laughs> by every black rapper I know. You know, there's no excuses out there. Just get out there. As I said before, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Nubian Message, which is historically the African-American newspaper here on campus. We're really reaching out this year to make sure that we are representing all marginalized groups. So if you feel like that applies to you, definitely feel free to submit a guest column. Feel free to join the staff. I can be reached at nubian-editor at ncsu.edu. My name is also Stephanie Tate, so you can just look me up in the directory and shoot me a personal email. But if there's a topic that you would like us to cover or a conversation you would like us to have with our audience, then feel free to hit us up. Anybody who is interested in working in the music industry, wants to get real experience working in the music industry, or if you're an artist that wants to be more serious about your craft, come and check out Wolf Tracks Music Group. It's NC State's first student-run entertainment management firm. Most of us are PR majors, and it's like an awesome opportunity for us to put what we learn in school into real life into something that's really cool. So get out there and do it. We meet at um, 6.30 on Tuesdays in Withers Room, Room 120. And that Yeah, it's open invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gen Ed and happy Diversity Education Week to North Carolina State University. Please follow us on social media, WKNC881 on SoundCloud, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also follow us. Also subscribe to our podcast channel in the iTunes store where you can find every episode of Gen Ed as well as legal work and our off the record and local band, local beer interviews. Thanks for listening. Hey, WKNC listeners, thank you for joining us today. This is Brooke with Arts Afternoons. And today I have a special treat for you. I have Anderson and John, president and vice president of the Cypher Club here on campus. And they're going to tell you a little bit about themselves and maybe do a little freestyle if we're lucky. So, Anderson, why don't you tell us uh, how you got into Cypher style rap? Yeah, um, well, I found... um I found out about the NC State Cypher uh, my sophomore year, which is four years ago. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. But, yeah, I'm on the sixth year. So four years ago. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so four years ago, um, I kind of stumbled across it. And, uh, and at the time, it was about ten people um, who were just out there rapping. I don't think any of them were students. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of passed them, and I jumped in, and I and they were, like, the nicest people I'd ever met. 
Um, and so I kept coming back every week and it grew and grew and grew. And over the years, it's, it's, you know, eventually became adopted by the university as an organization, um, that I'm lucky enough to, to, to lead. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I've been a couple times. It's definitely a welcoming environment. Talented. Cool. So, John, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I just moved to Raleigh, um, transferred here to state about a year and a half ago. Um, and I, I knew about the uh, Cypher. Um, shout out to Mike Live. He was actually one of the founders. He he resides in Asheville. So I moved here from Asheville and he had always told me about it. And, and you know, it's kind of like it was like a fable at the time because I didn't know how big it was and how official it was. But since, you know, the first week coming, there was I had the ups and downs in the beginning of how often I came. But for the past, I would say probably nine months, I've been coming mostly every week. And, it you know, and then as Anderson said recently, it became a, an official student organization. So that is extra dope. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much my involvement. So cool. This is, well, it's really exciting to have you guys here today. I'm super hyped because I come from more of a poetry background, but I really respect and enjoy what you guys do for sure. Um, so why don't we kick a beat here and get some stuff started? Uh. Nice. Yeah, look, even a cold fan would tell you this was cold, man. <laughs> you want to build a snowman? Even if this station was run by Charlemagne, I wouldn't even have to tell you to put respect on my name. Like, is Anderson the greatest? Does he spit fire? Is Donald Trump racist? Is Hillary a liar? Did Bernie get cheated? Did emails get deleted? Is Melania Trump too dumb to write her own speeches? I mean, really, though. Not really, what you think, boy? Man, y'all got me spazzing. I came in this game like Leroy. Been deployed to destroy all of you little decoys. Intergalactic rapping with Say-So and Leonard Nimoy. I mean, gosh dang. Had to switch up the flow. It was fun, but now it's boring. I call that Pokemon Go. You see, I view the game out Hillsboro views the market. So you step into my alley and become another target. So what now? You feeling froggy, then leap. That's none of my business. I'll go back to sipping tea. Whenever I leave the station, I gotta hide from the police because they call the wolf alert every time I get on a beat like an unidentified Caucasian male in his 20s wearing clothes his mom bought for him at JCPenney. I was a white kid in high school, always trying to stay trendy, so I super glued a sticker to my 5950. Now I said, screw it. I'm gonna do it differently. And I don't even cuss, but they still try to censor me. And sitting on the sideline ain't where I wanna be, they say. There's better ways to take a stand than just to take a knee. And you can disagree. Monday nights, though, you know where we be. We got new cats coming out. It's pretty cool to see. We made Monday Garfield's favorite day of the week. Yeah. Monday nights at 9 p.m. Sweet. All right, next we have John here with us. He's going to give us a little something special from his vocabulary. Mm. SK, the novelist, uh, yeah, uh, I love the beat, first off, I'ma kick it off a little less political than Anderson Burris, but it's cool, he put a foot down, that's something pivotal, 
hot like a pivotal stance, man. Understand, grown ass man, the way I'm dancing on the beat with the rhythm in my body. We out here off top, this the radio party, this the hip hop function. You brought some dumb dishes to the food for thought function. What the fuck was that, man? We coming off top. The way that I flow could make Pablo Picasso blow paint out his nostrils. Create an environment quite hostile when I go, cause Cash be so jealous, cause the way I'm overzealous with it. 24-7 like a hotline service, the way that I be flowing, uh. It's the real organic. I spit it off top, volcanic, and then y'all panic. Like, God damn it, that kid be at it again. I'm on top, just like a fucking attic again. That was so overused, what a damn metaphor. That is something that I'm sure someone has said before, but I will say it like I was the first to originate it. I created a style of my own, and I flow, and I go use it every Monday night. Cypher University, Monday nights, that's hype. Uh, Monday night, <laughs> 9 p.m., 9 p.m. at the tunnel. <laughs> All right, that was awesome. Thank you, Anderson and John, for sharing a little piece of your artistry with us, and I hope everyone does go out Monday night at 9 p.m. near the Free Expression Tunnel and check it out. Cool. Thank you guys for being here. Anything else you want to say? Yeah. Go ahead. Are you okay, cool. Um... Yeah, I would just encourage, you know, anybody who loves any form of music, whether it's, you know, it's country music, spoken word, uh, you know, rap, anything, definitely to come on out and um, and, and share that with us. Because it's not hip-hop exclusive, you know, all genres are welcome. Um, or if you just love to come out and watch, it's an incredibly welcoming environment, like we said. So, mm-hmm. yeah, hope to see you out there. Yeah, most definitely come on out Monday nights, 9 p.m. by the tunnel, um, by the free Freedom Expression Tunnel, and... Um, we, we do it for a reason. Come out and express yourself. Say what you got to say. Speak what, you know, has been bothering you for the week or, or whatever you want to share, some sort of uh, spoken art. You know, we, we take it all, and we, we like to create an open environment where people can, can share what they have to say with the world. So that's all we, I got to say. We also, have, we also have Snapchat filters every week that I design. I just, I've, I've always wanted to, I just, I'm going to say it. Yeah, every week we got a new Snapchat filter. So if you stop by, definitely use it because it costs me money. All right. Awesome. Shameless plugs for the week. Thank you so much. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. That's awesome. I hope you guys uh, go check this out. Thank you, WKNC listeners. Just to reiterate, you do not have to be a student to participate in this at all. Please, people from all kinds of walks of life, go check it out. All right. Thank you, guys. Hope you have a good one. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. Buckle up, ladies and gents. Today's review is going to be an interesting ride. Many of you may be familiar with the quintessential song about an item of clothing, sweater song. A good portion of you may also know that the band that wrote that song also wrote a bunch of other amazing songs back in the 90s, and that their name is Weezer. And yet, a possibly smaller portion of you may also be aware that the same band just released a new album. Finally, for the smallest portion of you that haven't caught on yet, that album is the one that I'll be reviewing today, and its name is Weezer, as are, like, five other albums by them. So, keeping in trend, the parenthetical title for this album, which I'll be using for the purposes of this review, is color-coded based on the album art which is white. Hence, today's album is The White Album by Weezer. 
When you wake up, cobwebs on your eyelids, stuck in rigor show of hands quickly from everyone who listened to the last few Weezer albums. How about their classic albums? Blue, Green, Pinkerton, or Make Believe? Those familiar with the former most likely understand where I'm going with this. Those familiar with only the latter may be a bit confused. And to those of you familiar with neither, let me explain. Pretty much everyone has heard a couple of Weezer songs. The band was essentially the highlight of the post-grunge scene of the mid-90s to early 2000s. Notice I say post-grunge and not alternative. That title belongs to Radiohead in my opinion, but I digress. Weezer took a scene dominated by heroin junkies and Kurt Cobain sound-alikes and proceeded to dominate it with scrawny teenagers who played D&D on the weekends. Weezer was the end of the Seattle sound and the beginning of nerd rock. They were dorks, but they were your dorks. In a time where much of society still resembled the classic stereotypical movie High School, here was a bunch of guys screwing around and singing about sweaters, weed, and tabletop board games in the garage. And they were incredibly successful at it. But the reason those albums have stood the test of time isn't just because they changed the scene or because they're relatable to the average person's life. It's also because they made the harsh reality of life easier to swallow by turning it into a catchy song like Say It Ain't So, which deals with the struggle of living with an alcoholic father. Even their silly songs had a bit of dark truth to them if you'd look for it. But you could also just ignore it and enjoy a pretty unique series of nerdy, stoner-inspired jams. To this day, the Blue Album is held up as one of the strongest rock debut albums of all time. Now, this quality continued for a good few albums. Blue happened, then Pinkerton, which was different but beloved all the same. Green happened, which was a bit forgettable but otherwise pretty good. Along comes Maladroit next, which I still hold is a great hidden gem of an album that most Weezer fans overlook. After Maladroit was Make Believe, which restored a lot of faith in the band due to the great quality of writing on the album and the overall similarity to the Blue Album. This is where things started to turn, however. In 2008, Weezer puts out the Red Album. Following Make Believe would have been hard no matter what they put out, but Red was seen as exceptionally average. I liked a couple of songs off of it, and I think it gets a bad rap, but overall, fans were kind of stumped. It wasn't quite like the other albums, something was off. Fast forward to 2009, and all of a sudden, the bomb drops. Ratitude gets released, and all hell breaks loose. Easily the worst thing Weezer has ever put out, Ratitude bombed hard. It was nothing like anything they'd released previously. None of the songs were about anything their fans could really relate to. And all of a sudden, this nerdy but awesome band goes from writing about D&D and weed and alcohol abuse to writing about partying all the time, having sex with girls that call you daddy, meeting your girlfriend's parents, and, and other weird and saturated topics. It even had Lil Wayne as a guest artist. Lil Wayne. Look, props to you if that's what you're into, but if that sounds anything like the kind of guest artist that the band I just described would book, then I really don't think you've been listening. The bombs didn't stop there. Weezer's next few albums were all pretty much dead in the water. Hurley was a mild improvement, but still didn't sound right, and Everything Will Be Alright in the End was more of the same. Death to False Metal doesn't really count since it's a compilation album, but it really wasn't great either. So that brings you to the current state of Weezer. After a series of duds that never really got off the ground, fans of Weezer have been kind of half-heartedly waiting for some sign of return to form. With the White Album newly released, rumors have been spreading that it's a step in the right direction, perhaps even the return to form that we've been waiting for. Well, let's talk about that, shall we? In short, yes and no. I'll come back to that overall later, but first we'll go over the stylistic changes and the impressions each song leaves. 
The White Album isn't nearly the garbage heap that Ratitude is, but there are still traces left that dilute the whole experience, like pieces of dirt stuck to an ice pop after you drop it on the ground. The mastering and post-production on the album are all very clean, and there's been a lot of processing done to bring it closer to pop than will ever be to grunge. The guitars on the album are still pretty clean for a Weezer album, but they're not too bad. I think the most noticeable remnant of Ratitude is probably lead singer Rivers Cuomo singing, which has been generically cleaned up and lacks any sort of real emotion. Most every song on the album still has that problem of being overly saturated, and I don't even know how many of them talk about California. Like, seriously, why does every band that lives in California have to talk about California in every song? The first song on the album is California Kids, and the eighth is LA Girls. I mean, really, there's already like five songs called California Girls, and you're only two steps away from creating two more. How many more songs about living in California do we need? Usually that's a pretty negligible offense, and in the case of California Kids, it's actually a pretty good song. But the problem lies in the fact that the same party all the time, always super happy all the time themes are still in most every song. Ratitude is the prime example of fake positivity, and that's what made half of it so boring and unenjoyable. It feels false and lacks the bitter, realistic writing of Weezer past. The fact that the problem is still present on this album tells me that we don't have much hope of getting back that spark that made Weezer special. Now, the White Album isn't a total loss. It's pretty catchy at some points, and it's better than their previous work. I think the prime songs on this album for recapturing that little bit of Weezer delight that we crave so much are California Kids, Do You Want to Get High, King of the World, Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory, LA Girls, and Endless Bummer, with an honorable mention for Jack Dump. These songs have a little bit of recognizable old Weezer in them, like seeing a dead family member blush. That said, the other songs on this album, while sporting interesting musical ideas at times, are ultimately not great. Really, not even good. The song Girl We Got a Good Thing is easily my most hated song since literally anything on Ratitude. At this point in time, the Weezer that we know and love is still in a coma. But the White Album proves that it may not be brain dead yet. And I think I just saw a finger wiggle, so that's something. In all, things could be a lot worse for the state of Weezer. But I wouldn't get my hopes up just yet. For those who want another blue album, give up. There's no trace of that here. Similarly, there's no Pinkerton either. The closest we're gonna get is that. Uh, the closest we're gonna get to a new and improved Weezer is going to be some kind of evolution of make-believe mixed with green album. And even then, if they're gonna start making us happy again, Weezer can't beat a dead horse. We've had our time with that era of sound, now we need them to evolve in the correct direction. Time will only tell if that ever happens, but for now, it's looking a lot better. For my final rating on a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give the White Album a positive 2. Middle of the road. It's so close to being good, but it's just not there yet. Hopefully something good will come along eventually, but fingers crossed until then. Once again, the name of the album is White Album by Weezer. Thanks again for listening in. I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Lens, Les, Floatstar, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in a review request by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org or by sending a tweet to at wknc underscore EOT. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time.
Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snowverated, and this week I will be taking a look at the film The Past. The Past is a film that sneaks up on you. It starts out with a seemingly harmless plot and works its way up to some of the most dramatic final moments that I have witnessed on film. It is a slow build-up, though, which made me appreciate the ending even more. The style of the film is what did it all for me. The Past never hesitated to pause on a frame and captivate the audience within the moment. This has some of the best silent scenes and interactions between characters that I have seen in a while. This goes without saying for how I have already described the film, but the acting was superb for the most part. The only performances that I noticed being a little bit off were the younger actors. And you can never be too hard on children acting in films because it's obvious that they will have little experience in acting, but I have to say it detracted a little bit from films at points. It really just takes a good director to have children act well on screen. It may have just been the positioning of the actors and actresses that caused some of the moments of awkward acting, but they stood out to me from the rest of the performances. In most dramas, actors and actresses are playing along the edge of being melodramatic and unconvincing and underwhelming. Compare it to a tightrope walker. If they lean in either direction, they will fall short and the scene they are acting in will not live up to its full potential. I was really impressed by one scene where the director decided to linger on the frame of awkward tenseness and how well the amount of time the silence was endured for. It was not really just that it was a silent scene and that there was not much going on, but it was the fact that it continued to send different messages about the interactions of the two silent characters. This shot likely took many takes and a hard deliberation as to which of the takes to use in the final cut of the movie. The past takes place in Paris, France and shows a beautiful side of the city that many may not know of. The Iranian subculture portrayed in the film almost certainly exists in the real world as the places they filmed exist and Paris is a large modern city. Of course, this means it has many immigrants from all around the world so it would certainly not be surprising that there would be a number of Iranian immigrants. This mix of culture is part of what makes movies so unique. It provides a unique perspective of an immigrant who was unhappy with his immigration and therefore chose to abandon the life that he had come to know for the one that he had left behind. This reversal of the immigration story is something I have never really seen discussed or considered in many American movies. In The Godfather, a character returns to Italy for a time, but is never as a permanent thing, and there are many other similar movies where this is the case as well. So, needless to say, this is a unique perspective, and it ends up playing out in a very unique way, especially since it is only one part of what could almost be considered a two-part movie. One part can be considered the struggle between the returning husband and the wife, and the other between the wife and her new husband. Both stories have a lot of overlap, but there are some areas that really don't cross over as well. The way in which the film ends was probably a particularly difficult choice to make for their director, but the one that they eventually came upon is perfect amount of bittersweetness needed to end a film containing the amount of drama that the past does. I never like to say too much about the ending of movies, but I will assure you that if you are somewhat bored at any point in the movie, which is likely to happen in a 2 hour and 10 minute movie, that the end is well worth the wait. The movie stands out from the crowd of dramas that flood the markets these days in many ways. The story has a unique perspective, the characters all feel real and somewhat unpredictable, there are interwoven plots, and there are plenty more things that I could point out about the film that stand out. But just standing out from the crowd does not make a movie good. A movie that is exceptionally bad stands out almost as well as a movie that is exceptionally good. This movie, as you may have guessed by now, is exceptionally good. I'm going to give this film a 4 out of 5. There are parts of the film that could have been removed, and would they have detracted some amount of drama? Yes, 
This film is a good one, so all of its scenes contribute somewhat to the final product, but I do not think that all of the scenes were necessary. The acting in the film was superb, with only minor flaws here and there, and overall, the film was a captivating and enjoyable movie. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Am The Triangle and Snowverated. I am Jake Winters, and I hope you enjoyed the rest of your evening. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC-FM Raleigh. The time is 4.50, and I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Nick Weaver. It's time for What's in the News, the section where I read off a couple of headlines from today's technician. So let's just go on over to their site and uh, see what's new, shall we? Uh, Top of the story right now. Update, student skateboarder hit by car on campus, minor injuries. Gavin Stone, project manager, uh, wrote that one. Got some details on the accident and the name of the person involved. Below that... TED fellow and biologist talks about healthcare innovations. Dr. Anita Tandon lectured on regenerative medicine and modern healthcare in Stewart Theater on Wednesday. Uh, just a quick recap on that. And below that, UNC law professor talks voter ID to law students, or law to students, rather. UNC Chapel Hill professor of law, Gene Nickel, talked to students in Park Shops Tuesday about the new voter ID laws that were being passed by the NC General Assembly, but then overturned in July by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. If you want to hear more about that, head to the Technician website. And as always, there's going to be some good stuff and features, so check out the other sections, too. Oh, one quick note before we uh, sign off from the show. Early voting started last week, so if you haven't voted yet and you're interested in early voting, please look into that. Uh, I believe you do not have to go to your assigned station during early voting, so please look into that and please remember to vote this year. Yep, very important. We uh, cannot stress that enough. Been talking about it pretty much every week, and I guess we probably will until uh, elections actually <laughs> happen. But uh, yeah, that about does it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us on this uh, wonderful Wednesday afternoon. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. Our intro and outro music is Connie by L1011. I'd like to thank our contributors, Colleen Canan Ferguson, Brooke Yanian, Jake, and Jake Winters. For I Am the Triangle, I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Nick Weaver, wishing you all a great Wednesday afternoon.